Thank you for listening to the Green Majority podcast that you've downloaded. Uh, we have a great show for you this week, and uh, it starts off a little bit light. We talk a little with our uh, guest about fungi, uh, and then we spend basically the entire rest of the program talking about uh, extreme weather, as you might have uh, expected due to uh, the, the news rounds and some news you may have missed. Uh, if you appreciate uh, and support the show, uh, you can do so financially if you're both willing and able uh, by visiting our Patreon page. You can do that at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Green Majority. Uh, sign up to be a member. Recommendation is $5. We will, of course, accept both more and less than that, uh, depending on what your, your purse strings allow. Uh, it is very appreciated and, and helps us to uh, support and to continue to, continue to do the show as well as uh, add improvements, etc. Uh, with that, please enjoy this week's edition of The Green Majority. And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM or on The Green Majority Podcast, as well as one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners uh, across the country and internationally as well. Um, I am here as your host today, once again, Saren Kaster, and I'm, uh, I've am i got Stefan waiting in the wings here. He is in the building. He's, in fact, almost even in the room, uh, but he's off uh, preparing... Um, for our news feature this week, which will essentially largely focus on uh, the issue of flooding. We will, of course, be talking about uh, Hurricane Harvey, uh, but also more, um, some of the science, some of the impacts, some of the news stories related to that that you may not have heard of, uh, as well as the usual uh, analysis uh, will be coming up and will be essentially the majority of the remain of the rest of sort of the, the remaining two thirds of the program this week. Um, what we've done is I front ended our guest here to join me right here at the beginning of the program a little bit unusually because we want to talk about something completely different. Um, and I thought it would make more sense if we just talked to her first. So uh, I would like to welcome first uh, Kathy Vatcher to the program. Welcome to the Green Majority, Kathy. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, so you are a, uh, a member uh, in more ways than one with the Mycological. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, you oh, are. Okay. Uh, Mycological Society of Toronto, which is a federally registered not-for-profit volunteer-managed association of amateur mycologists and, other interest, uh, and, and others with an interest in wild mushrooms and fungi based out of Toronto. Um, and so... When I was uh, first uh, uh, referenced here, you um, uh, you just told me that you were a mushroom enthusiast. And uh, now that I've done a little bit more reading, you have quite a bit more enthusiasm there. There's, uh, of course, I have a background as a, a teacher and an artist and interested in music and, and writing and uh, definitely all sorts of things. So we're going to try and incorporate as much of this as possible within the general uh, interest uh, of this. But uh, first, I thought I would... Um, uh, ask you to sort of tell us why are we talking about mushrooms, which by which I mean, why are they so important? What brings you to why brings you to be so interested in, in the topic of fungi? Okay, uh, there's so many reasons, really. Um, they're beautiful, um, extraordinary, and they uh, take me out into the forest um, uh, every spring and fall, even in the summer. And I go on private forest, but I go with the group every weekend. We have. Uh, we have forays on Saturday and Sunday and sometimes Wednesdays. But um, other than that, you know, taking photos of them and eating them, I think they're just so important for the environment and uh, their interconnection with uh, the trees and bushes and flora and fauna. Um, 
really uh, extraordinary works being done, uh, studies by uh, people, uh, mycologists like Paul Stamets in the States, who's uh, looking into how mushrooms, uh, he was using oyster mushrooms in experiments to clean up uh, oil and uh, tar messes, uh, you know, dump sites, uh, filthy water. So, um, and there's medicinal uses that they're experimenting with too. And they have been, I guess, for thousands of years. You know, the Asians were using all kinds of uh, medicinal mushrooms. But I have an interest in that myself. I collect chaga and uh, drink the tea and give it to people I know who need uh, some kind of immune support. It seems to work or I feel good. And uh, mushrooms like turkey tail and other mushrooms. Mushrooms, uh, some edibles are finding now can help with uh, increasing your uh, brain strength, you know, so there's less chance of uh, dementia maybe. Who knows? They're, they're experimenting with all this. But they're doing things right now, um, making something called muskin that's uh, fabric made out of mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's just extraordinary. And IKEA has developed uh, packaging um, f- using mushrooms. And so it's all biodegradable. So just the idea to get rid of plastics, and I think there's just way too much plastic in the world. And what it's doing is just, you know, horrible in our oceans and everywhere else, you know, to the uh, birds and, and, you know, fish and other animals. But um, I just see mushrooms being really part, you know, such an important part of uh, the ecology of the world, you know. And I, Paul Stamet says he thinks they can save the, uh, you know, our world anyway. And, uh you know, perhaps they can. I mean, you know, they've been used for thousands of years, like Otzi, the Iceman, you know, he was found uh, with two different mushrooms, the polypore, uh, the birch polypore that uh, he used for uh, probably getting rid of um, the intestinal um, problems, you know, like, I don't know what they call those little bugs that stay in you, parasites, yeah, yeah, mm. stuff like that. And now, so there's diptychs. If you bleed, you can put that on, it'll stop it. And then he had tinder polypore, a different one. And, um, you know, these are all around today, of course, you know, and uh, this he was, you know, remember the movie Quest for Fire? So, you know, this is how they kept, you know, the fire or the coal going. Mm. And uh, I've done little shows with people where I, you know, scrape some off and start it, and it, it lights really well. But um, other than that, you know, there's just so much um, discovery, you know, and excitement around the mushrooms. And, Mm. uh, you know, aside from, you know, how they can save the world, it's just, for me, a great way to get out in nature and, uh, you know, appreciate the birds and the wildflowers and berries and everything else around. So it, uh, it just helps me, I think, to be more in touch with who I am and my place in the planet. And uh, mm. if I can do anything, like when we're out on forays, we pick up garbage we find. You know, it's always awful. You're in this area of beauty and you see a beer can or a pop bottle or plastic bottles, water bottles, you know, and everything. So we uh, on forays uh, encourage people to, you know, help clean it up a little bit, you mm. know. And uh, it just feels good. You know, it really does. It's uh, soul enriching. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think it's I think it's worthy right now to to tease as we're talking about this, and as you're mentioning uh, forays, that one of the reasons you're joining us today, as opposed to another day, is that there is actually an upcoming public uh, foray. So we'll we'll have more information. We can talk about that a little bit uh, towards uh, towards the end. Uh, sure. But as a tease, if if people are listening and and they're in the Toronto uh, area um, and this sounds interesting to them, stay tuned. You'll be able to to join Kathy on one of these, and we'll 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 talk about that more in a minute. Uh, what I just wanted to sort of um, put sort of a uh, 
this in a sort of a, a package was that you know as from the point of view of uh, the show where we sort of t- we talk about a, a lot of really wide range of issues and climate change and all sorts of national systems uh, is that when I sort of look at this I sort of put this in the bubble for me of like um, a fancy word for it is kind of biomimicry which is the um, the ways in which we can look at which nature's already figured out really clever ways of doing things uh, and instead of spending money to come up with an entire an environmentally you know destructive way of doing something that you know mushrooms in this case are already doing on their own and and they're already sort of in sync with natural systems because they've figured out how to do these things in a natural system. Yes. So it's just sort of, it, you know, mushrooms are a really great example, but I just sort of want people thinking while we're talking today that, the, you know, it's not just about even mushrooms, that there really is so much wealth and knowledge uh, wealth in the sense of like intellectual wealth, but also as in like commercial products that are, that don't harm the earth just by looking to nature and maybe we shouldn't wipe it out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, mycelium has been called the internet of the earth because it helps the plants communicate and the trees communicate. Mm-hmm. It helps them survive, not just um, when, you know, turning them back, you know, when they're falling logs into uh, dirt again, you know, they, they do more than that. So you're right. There is a really an interconnection. So we, uh, when, I, when we were speaking uh, before the interview briefly by email, I mentioned that one of my favorite things that I'd heard about mushrooms was the, uh, the like, miles-wide single mushroom uh, that, that is sort of is a single thing under the earth, but it comes up, like, over miles. Um, and you immediately knew what I was talking about. Maybe you could explain a little better than me what, the, what that we were talking about to the audience. Okay. Um, it's a, a mycelial mat of uh, the common name is a honey mushroom. So it's, a, um, it's, it's supposed to be only one cell in some places thick, but it's uh, covering this huge area, area in Oregon, I think. And uh, this is uh, a mushroom that is edible, which that's interesting, and uh, some people pickle them and stuff. But just the idea that it's such a large organism and it's affecting you know, so much. I don't know how old they think it is, probably a couple thousand, I forget, mm. years old. But, um, you know, it's just it, – it, it's, it's astounding that this is one organism. So uh, it's, it's fantastic. And we have them here, of course, the uh, amarilla mushroom. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the thing is, sometimes when people go to gather these, they do it without um, – they might know what the honey mushroom looks like. But right next door on the same log is a, uh, a deadly gallerina, a small brown one. And someone might think, well, these are gathered together too, and they look like little honey mushrooms if they're not looking closely. And they'll chop the whole bunch down and throw them together and eat them up and get sick. Mm. So, um, yeah, the, the gallerina deadly, um, you know, certain beautiful mushrooms like the Anamitas, uh, they're gorgeous. There's one uh, destroying angel. Um, it's a beautiful white mushroom. And some people might think, oh, this looks like the one in the food store, you know, the agaricus, and they all eat it. And um, uh, the only thing that might save them would be a liver transplant. So, you know, it's it's dangerous. That's why I think it's good to join a group like the MST, because you, uh, you're with people that have a lot of knowledge, and they're friendly and willing to share it. And we recommend certain guidebooks that are easy to use and to identify them. So when we go out at the end, we have, you know, quite a few mushrooms to identify and that can take an hour an hour and a half but you know people get a chance to look at them and learn and you know smell them and look at certain features you know that will help identify them instead of just going you know is it edible is it edible you know i like it when people want to try to learn a few mushrooms that's how i started a few years ago just learning a few every foray and adding to the batch you know now i'm uh, making little cue cards and trying to study them but Mm. uh, but i love it you know 
So one of the other things, uh, Kathy, that you mentioned to me, the email, which um, I found very interesting, uh, and I, I made a note of because I wanted to ask you to, to talk a bit more about, was that you were you've begun learning trees because learning the trees helps you also locate and identify mushrooms as well. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, it's called uh, mycorrhizal uh, relationships. So uh, the trees um, are being helped by the mushrooms. Um, the mushrooms help the trees. Um, you know, they're they're giving uh, you know uh, food back and forth and information. So if you know what trees, you know, you might say, well, okay, morel season, what kind of trees do I look under? So you'd look for, you know, elm and dying elm and ash trees and poplars and this sort of thing. So if I'm out in the woods, if I can kind of scope what's out there and go, hmm, that looks like a nice, you know, um, maybe I'm looking for a mixed forest, not just conifers, but hardwoods too. But then learning to identify them, that's something, there's quite a few maples, you know, (laughs) but uh, it really does help to know the trees because uh, yeah they do have that interrelationship and you'll most likely find them there mm. and one of the things Kathy that we mentioned at the beginning of course is that you're you're more than just a mushroom enthusiast of course um, with a background in, in art and as a teacher uh, as well um, and on your website you specifically talk about how the na- uh, nature has very much inspired some of your art and I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little maybe give some examples or just talk about wh- how the how that experience sort of influences your artwork okay um, for me probably one of the few times I really relax is when I'm outdoors um, doing watercolors. You know, I just drive away or walk away from everybody or just look around me and say, what can I paint? And uh, that time, you know, it might be I've been painting before where there's a rainstorm coming and the clouds are beautiful, but I have to paint fast, you know, so I I love doing that. But then I remember I did a series and then all of a sudden the drops, the water drops came out and, you know, kind of ruined the one work, but I had many others. But uh, I like to paint on the spot. I like to be in nature that way because I'm really attending to it. I'm really looking at the light and the colors and the changes and uh you know that's why I, I like looking i guess that's why i like mushrooms so much because you're looking at tiny worlds sometimes you know and you're trying to see them and find them and they can be on the trees on the ground you know they can be almost microscopic you know i bring a loop you know most people do if they're really into it so they can look for identifying features but sometimes I need a loop even to see what it is. I saw a little red dot on a, um, a, I was taking some people on a foray and on a, on a tree stump and I thought, hmm, that looks like scarlet cup. And I was like, oh, it can't be. It's a piece of, it's too small. It looks like a piece of uh, paint, a dot or something. So I scraped it off, looked under the loop and yes, it was. And it was like, woo. So I love those little tiny worlds. I love seeing. I love being part of nature where I'm hearing the birds, you know, and I'm, I'm just, you know, hearing the wind through the leaves, all that stuff just soothes me mm. and makes me feel connected, you know, in my life, like with some greater thing, right? Well, it's sort of, I mean, it was what you're talking about, about one of the, th- one of the things that you get out of doing um, the forays as well is, I mean, you know, I've, I've gone on, so I've been in many national parks several times. I've gone on all sorts of, you know, nature walks and tours and that sorts of things. And one of the things that, that I've noticed that it, it sounds like you were saying you got from this as well is that, you know, there's, it's sort of one thing to sort of walk into a forest and appreciate, you know, quote unquote nature. Um, but I think it's an, it's an, you're able to enjoy it at so many different levels once you start learning about what all the different things are, right? It stops becoming just like a scene and it starts becoming 
telling this 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 story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so maybe you can, as a as a segue to um, uh, pitching people to come and join your foray, maybe you can talk a little bit about about that. Okay. Yeah. There is a huge excitement in being able to identify things, anything. You know, uh, I, from. Uh, you know, uh, sun chokes, you know, if you're walking by to a certain wildflower, to mushrooms, you know, when you suddenly you find that you can, you actually know the difference, you know, and you know the name and you know um, maybe some of the, uh, you know, properties, you know, maybe it's edible, maybe it's not, you know, how it fruits, you know, all these things. It's It's mysterious and it's also really exciting and when you're on and you're getting it right you feel like yay i feel like my brain still works so i retired about (laughs) a year and a half ago and i'm just kind of doing this too because you know it keeps uh keeps the brain cells uh, all moving there the body and the brain active that's right yeah Uh, and so you have uh, there's a, there's an event coming up, and I, I always want to make sure. And of course, I like to remind our guests sometimes because they don't necessarily know when they come to find us that you know we're broadcast uh, internationally and on and a number of Canada wide stations uh, as well. So it, uh, this will be your opportunity to let people uh, know where they can um, sign up to join you, where they can learn a little bit more. Uh, but maybe also you can maybe give some people some advice about how they can find out about this, or, or um, you know maybe find a local group if they're not sure, in Toronto. Sure. The first step uh, would be to uh, go on. On uh, Google and uh, look up the Mycological Society of Toronto, M Y C O L O G I C A L. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, look us up. And there's a lot of information about what we offer. And for thirty dollars a year, you have um, amazing spe- speakers coming in. You get to go to all the forays. Um, we have social events. There's a newsletter that's great. Um, there's courses that you can take at a very inexpensive price because you're a member, um, ID courses, stuff like that. But um, the really exciting part, I think, is being able to go on the foray. So this year we're having the 40th annual Cane Foray. And um, some students of U of T, former U of T professor, Dr. Roy Kane, started um, the Mycological Society. And so this marks the 40th one. It's going to be held in Muskoka. It talks about it all on our website. You can sign up with PayPal. There's a few spaces still left. We're we're doing well right now. Mm. Um, It's the first time at the Lumina Resort, and it's really quite luxe, and there's a pool they're going to have open for us, and beautiful accommodation, great food. It's only three ninety five a person for the whole weekend, so that's uh, September twenty second to the twenty fourth, and um, <clears throat> Walter Sturgeon, who's a renowned uh, mycologist, is coming in to uh, give talks. There's other um, very very talented amateurs and other mycologists that'll be there to help identify. It's a great social weekend in just an area of beauty, and this year the mushrooms are really coming up because of all the rain. So um, kids can go to this uh, free. I think uh, if you're I don't know, what is it, um, under eight. And uh, teens are $75. So the whole family can go, and it's magnificent. It'll be my third year, and I wouldn't miss it for anything. It's kind of the highlight of the year. But um, I can recommend that and say uh, go to our website and find out all the information. You can sign up with PayPal and hope to see you there. 
Yeah, and the only thing you did, you didn't mention, which I'm seeing here in my notes, and so I'll, I'll make sure that I say on your behalf, because as I was telling you as we were coming in, I'm, I'm also uh, by day a chef. Uh, so there's apparently a lot of recipe sharing, which jumped out at me as well. Oh, that's uh, true. So, <laughs> uh, so, if you, uh, so if you're not in Toronto, I, get, I mean, uh, uh, you can check the spelling, because I'm even, even as you've already said I said it correctly, I'm still feeling a little bit shaky about my <laughs> pronunciation. But uh, mycological uh, would be the sort of scientific reference of that. So you know, if you're in Toronto, you can lo- we'll have a link to uh, the MST uh, in Toronto, but also just you can you know copy that word and look for uh, just society of wherever you are and and there there hopefully are some resources and and if there aren't maybe um, Kathy or somebody else at the MST would be uh, happy to I'm, I'm sure happy to share some some resources so maybe they can start a little group of their own yeah. there's always opportunities to, to create more um, so th- with that thank you very much for for joining us again we've been talking uh, to uh, Kathy Vatcher who's uh, a member and the membership director for the uh, Mycological Society of Toronto uh, and if you're interested in learning more or joining the upcoming foray we will have links on the website post. You can check out greenmajority.ca after the show. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us, Kathy. Uh, so now Megan is going to uh, let us know what our music break will be. And when we come back, Stefan will be uh, taking Kathy's place in the studio. And we're going to spend a whole bunch of time talking about uh, some very sad un- uh, but unfortunately predictable events uh, in uh, Texas and beyond. Uh, so with that, Megan. All right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful community radio partners, uh, basically everywhere. All now. over the place. Yeah, soon, coming soon to the moon. And, uh, and of course, our uh, podcast, which has been uh, sorely lacking a bonus show for a few weeks. I'm really hoping that we can make time for that today, Stefan. Uh, unfortunately, my health has been not great. Right. Uh, apologies. Uh, we're not being lazy. <laughs> I'm just not well. Uh, well, well enough to come in today. Yeah, so there we we'll, go. we'll do what we can do. Yeah. Um, so with that, um, I, we had a, um, I'm, I'm glad that we front-ended the interview because that would have been really awkward to stick in the middle of this because yes. we're about to get kind of serious. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, it's sort of our thing on the show is that we prefer to laugh than cry so we're i might make some jokes um i'm gonna try not to um but i just like i'm i'm I, before we even really get into it Stefan. like i'm just feeling like crazy overwhelmed <laughs> yeah um because you know it's sort of this uh, you know it's sort of this confluence of like this is super terrible and it is mm-hmm. um but plus also like there's that part that's sort of like but we kind of told you this was going to happen, but that feels really cruel and insensitive, but it's also like, well, when are you supposed to talk about that stuff? So I'm not those, I, I'm going to leave it to you to actually mm. talk about the story, but I sort of wanted to preface that because I feel like that's probably sort of where you're at. And I think feel like that's probably where a lot of people are at. And, um, I, I, I know, I think that's okay. Yeah. I think it's okay to feel confused about how to feel about what's going on. Um, and with that, um, Stefan, you're going to lead us through what's actually going on. Yeah. So what's, so what's what's perhaps the most ridiculous thing um, is that uh, we could and on, on another week uh, the upcoming Hurricane Irma that is currently a Category Three hurricane um, that is that is a season second major hurricane uh, is 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 hanging around right now in the Atlantic Ocean um, with really with 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 favorable. Um, with favorable pieces, really, uh, to to continue to grow and, and, and get uh, get stronger and stronger, would be a top story. You know, this, this concept of this, this hurricane is coming land like landfall. Unfortunately, there are is already another hurricane sort of taking over the news and and, and other uh, and other things throughout the world. And so it's 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 one of these things where it's like 
probably expect us to talk about Hurricane Irma next week. Uh, it is definitely something to Google, just something to keep your eye on. Uh, it's a, probably a few days before it becomes where the direction it goes. And of course, it, as any sort of storm like this can happen, it could sort of it could pitter out before it makes landfall. Uh, but that is certainly a possibility, and so and so keep an eye out on that because that could be that could be that could be next week's major story that everyone's talking about. And they've already forgotten about Houston because like, part of the theme I think of this of this conversation is going to be the fact that it's this conversation is going to happen more and more commonly. Um, and so so to just sort of take a step back to sort of place everyone. Um, the there are two currently major flooding incidents happening in the world right now. Uh, the, there's there's Hurricane Harvey, of course, which has just dominated the news, uh, and I think we'll see that uh, we'll see that uh, and we'll, we will get to that. But I want to sort of go first to actually, interestingly, the the much less covered but uh, much more affecting uh, effect, uh, um uh, monsoon uh, that actually hit, that is currently ongoing for the last two weeks, and I think that's part of it. And what's interesting about this also, I think, is is to th- something to think about is how the news media uh, and and our general consciousness covers these different kinds of concerns. And I think there's two pieces here. There's one, it's it's definitely a North America things matter versus other parts of the world conversation, but it's also I think a when it is a slow rising monsoon, uh, it is not a hurricane. And there's kind of like a watching sports to a hurricane that that I think that I think attracts sort of the news media in a way that you know it raining for two weeks ongoing doesn't seem to have the same same salience I guess yeah I feel uh, there's two things one um, oh, well all right let me I, let me not get ahead of myself sure. here <laughs> uh, the first thing was that yeah I mean I, I just as you were saying that I was like yeah you know what you know what it kind of felt like when I was watching because I don't like I don't have TV but mm-hmm. I watch you know as I've mentioned before I watch a lot of like CNN and MSNBC all that stuff on YouTube um, and there was this weird and I hadn't really put my finger on what it was until you just said that a minute ago but there is this weird like missing plane feel hmm. Do you remember right. that whole thing? Oh, well, how, whatever they spent plane, like six weeks yeah. looking for the plane, and it was like headline news, and they were doing like anime, like and it was like it was like news porn, yeah, right. It was this weird like tragedy porn, mm-hmm. and and as much as like obviously it's really important to talk about this stuff, I, there there is that sort of weird, you know, but it's good for ratings sort of feel to it that just feel that sort of coloring of the whole thing. It just makes me feel super gross. Well, it's 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 the level of sort of wall to wall coverage that that something that interestingly that then these are the kind of things that. Like it's good, I think currently that got wall to coverage. I think the day that a hurricane hits a major U.S. city and it doesn't get wall to wall coverage, we should be concerned. But I also think that day is coming. But it's yeah, it's not about how much they talk about it. It's about the way it's they talk right, about right. it. And it's that like the they're, one of the things. And I hope I'm not jumping ahead here, but uh, I don't even have the news article in front of me. But I'm just aware of a thing is that one of the stories was about how you know journalists were going and interviewing people who were like half underwater, and the right. woman started screaming at the interviewer, right? Um, because there was like because it was like even to them they felt like like the, you're this is you're doing this because you're getting ratings like right. you don't you're not interested in helping people you're not you you yourself don't care right you're doing your job because this is good for your show mm-hmm. um yeah it just it's sort of making that i think that's where a lot of that sort of internal confusion i have about how to t- even talk about this yeah comes from but anyway, yeah. anyway continue yeah so so to, so to jump back to our sort of explain the the two things that are going on so one is this monsoon that has hit india bangladesh pakistan and nepal and and it's it's hard it's one it's one of these things i think it's definitely very difficult to fully articulate the scope uh of i think that the, the, you've seen all this stuff with hurricane harvey about trying to explain the scope of how much waterfall fell uh but this is a, on a whole nother level 
uh, one third of Bangladesh is currently underwater. And this is a country of over like hundreds of millions of people. Uh, it is not a small country. 41 million people have been affected by these, by this rainfall. Uh, that's the other thing about that. That's, that's, that, that, this is a monsoon that is affecting more people than live in Canada. Um, and, and, uh, you know, a th- over a thousand, but 1,200 people have died. Uh, many due to electrocution, which had led utilities actually shut off some power in some places. Buildings have collapsed. And, and, and all of this is, 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 is sort of exists. Honestly, it, it, if you, if, I've, I went to the Guardian front page, uh, of the environment section and there's, seven eight articles about about hurricane harvey and i actually had to sort of like dig a little bit deeper to find to find information about about this and it and it's and i think it's it's a it's an interesting fact that it doesn't have that and again it's it perhaps i'm sure if we were if if you were i'm sure guardian the guardian that sort of you know that aims for this part of the world probably has much more coverage on it but it's certainly a thing to remember that it, Houston feels close because they're in North America, I guess, and so that has permeated our consciousness. But like, forty-one million people are underwater right now, or at least we're displaced in some way by this by, by flooding, and and it barely made it, I think, onto onto people's news, if if at all. I think I think majority of people probably have have not even heard about this, and and I think in part because you know there's a level of which the flooding is sort of not overly surprising. You know, it's, it, there's some parts of uh, parts of it that happen that, you know, this is obviously more rain than normal, but it's certainly a little bit. Um, and there's all these little pieces of it that, that I think lead to this fact. But I think also there's this level of which is like, it's far away. So we don't care. It, it's far away. And that it's also that it's like, you know, South Asia has a monsoon season and because it's like, Oh, it's season. It's like, Oh, it happens every year. Like, so if you don't listen to, you know, if you don't live there and you see the news headline, you're like, Oh, well this is just the annual thing that happens. Well, well I think also it's sort of the, uh, it's a us, sort of like the world floods from time to time you know right. whereas houston is like i've been to houston right uh so i certainly think it's that sort of us versus them or not versus them but that, that sort of piece as well yeah. um but to, so so that is ongoing and, and what i think is really important actually what's interesting uh when i was reading in this was some of the insights about uh the the types of dangers that exist when this happens and and and, and, and you know we think about you know when you think about say the the, the fire in calgary uh, in Fort McMurray, where sort of the whole conversation was rebuild, and if you rebuild, you'll be fine, right? There's this concept of which, uh, if you are able to, and we'll get into some of the difficulty that Hurricane Harvey victims are going to have rebuilding alone, but, it, but but pulling back, this concept of like, if you rebuild all the houses, you can be like, good, we did it, uh, no one was, we solved the problem, no one was affected. Um, but there's some really interesting quotes in this article about this, about this monsoon, which come from uh, the the general manager uh, of Save the Children from the Eastern India state of, of Bihar, uh, his name's Rafay, sorry, Rafay Hussein. And, and he's talking about, interestingly, the, what it puts our children's education at risk. So the quote is, uh, quote, we haven't seen flooding on this scale in years, and it's putting long-term education of an enormous number of children at great risk. From our experience, the importance of education is often undervalued in humanitarian crises, and we simply cannot let this happen again. We cannot go backwards. And he sort of continues to say, we know that the longer children are out of school following a disaster like this, the less likely they'll ever return. And that's why it's so important that education is properly funded in this response to get children back in the classroom as soon as it's possible to save, as soon as it's safe to do so to save and to safeguard their futures. And I had 100% not thought of that 
like 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 it, it was one something that I had not even considered that 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 in you know take it for granted here that of course the no one thinks that the that the kids in Houston are not going to go back to school you know the schools will be op- probably one of the first things that are going to be reopened uh it's, you know it's the, the kids will probably find will probably be put in other schools for a brief time like the chance that this actually affects their education is very very low and the fact that this is the number one thing that he wants the world to know like there's like 41 million people and he's like we have to make sure these kids keep getting educated is in a very i think it's an important uh, it to me, it sort of flipped my understanding and thought process about the different in the deep ways this kind of disaster actually affects the world. You know, it has a whole different level of uh, of meaning when you're like, oh no! Like, I think it's maybe it brings that concept of, of course that would happen, uh, and of course that this is a, a a whole new worry that that should exist, and, and, and in a way, people have to understand that we need to. We need to, there's a whole bunch of systems that need to be rebuilt, and one of those is ensuring that people keep getting educated. And it just it really made me actually realize that the the you can't just keep presuming. I guess it, it, it brings up the thought of my my mind that adaptation to climate change is is somewhat frivolous. In that not frivolous, mm-hmm. but like in that if you just with the idea that you are going to be able to constantly rebuild over and over again, uh, when and like the idea that you won't, don't want to like stop or decrease the severity of hurricanes, but that you'll just keep dealing with them over and over again, this sort of made me realize the the sheer absurdity of that thought of that thought uh, that like, no, this really affects a lot of different ways and a lot of different things. And this is, and, and education is, is going to be definitely one of them. And it's, it's, it's interesting that I hadn't fully realized that until I read this. Well, and that's, and that's also just sort of one point. And as you said, this yeah. was something that someone thought was the most important point in, in this time for, you know, for these specific countries that are affected. This, ex- location, exactly. That yeah. The most important doesn't mean only. <laughs> no, no. Right. And of course, and, and many of these other problems, as you say, are going to be sort of systemic and catastrophic and create, these like uh, uh, knockoff effects that right okay so now you have giant amounts of children that haven't been able to like, go to school and what other problems does that cause in your country and and you know and on and on and on and on and on and this is from one storm yeah exactly yeah yeah and it's like and, and it's and it's oh, and it will not be the last effects. is the end of that sentence right? right yeah you know there's another hurricane i guess in the other ones but yeah it's, it's constantly ongoing right there's this piece and piece and piece so uh, something um, i wanted to do really quickly and yeah. i'm i'm uh, you tell me if this is not the time to sure. do it i wanted to i have a bunch of news articles here about hurricane harvey and i just wanted to read the titles uh yeah sure uh, so why don't i quickly uh just sort of give a brief description of of what hurricane harvey uh, have happened you go through the things we'll go to break and we'll come back and a whole sort of some of the other pieces that that are going through deal live radio this is awesome um and so uh and so yeah so it it made landfall um it uh when exactly did it make landfall that's a real question Uh, earlier this week on august 28th uh the u.s army corps began controlled water releases um in the in the reservoirs of buffalo bio to sort of attempt sort of managing the floods um the there were sort of people were evacuated um or or there was actually actually there's a Man, the, the thing about this sort of storm is that there are so many little pieces of information that you learn from the, the pieces of like the fact that evacuation warnings and the difficulty of submitting an evacuation warning or force forced evacuation means to so many other people and that the fact that it was near the end of the month and so people couldn't necessarily afford to leave because they needed the job to pay, make sure they made rent like there were so many little pieces to the story that every time I, that it was hard for me to like know exactly how to talk about it because there's so many pieces of it but um to 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 roll back slightly um 
So about 300,000 people were left without electricity. Uh, 46 people were killed, uh, though that number is expected to rise. Um, and 13,000 people have been rescued across the state, and uh, approximately 30,000 people were displaced. And, and what's important, it's a little important is that 30,000 people were displaced is is a significant number and houston is the fourth largest city in the united states uh you know this wasn't a this wasn't a this wasn't a small impact uh, but then again remember 41 million people were affected in, in for the monsoons and so like, this is like it's it's still a matter of scale different well and, and just one more number that i don't think you mentioned yet but i have in front of me as well as you said you know the uh, 43 million uh, 41 million. 41 million people affected uh, for me. An, an article I have in front of me uh, that was updated at 4 o'clock yesterday, which would be the 31st, um, saying that 1,200 people have died. Right. Yeah, exactly. So again, it's not this isn't a you know tit for tat, therefore yeah. other lives don't matter. But again, just for scale, uh, 1,200 people have died from the flooding in South Asia and uh, 34 in the United States. That's only relevant with which to the, the degree to which things are being covered. That's the right. only yeah, – Exactly. That's yeah. the only yeah, point comparing of lives here. Yeah. yeah. That's um, the only point of making that comparison. But. Yeah. Um, and, and just to, and also to, to really emphasize the scope of which the monsoons are really devastating that region. Um, so – but yeah. So – this is a hurricane that sort of that made landfall. It, it, it has a couple of interesting things that stayed directly above uh, Houston for longer than they really anticipated. Uh, it, it it poured down rain for for, for much. It, the actual amount of rain was un, was was surprised. They actually, it, was, it was interesting. If you're following it, there was a moment where it seemed like it was good news because a little weaker than they thought when it made landfall. But then it actually stuck around for much longer, and so it ended up doing doing some more damage with flooding. And it was it's all these little pieces that sort of lead this to this. To this particular storm, and each storm will be slightly different. But each storm has these pieces of it. Uh, but sorry, we're coming into that. So why don't you read the headlines, and then we'll come back uh, into that. Yeah, just so while we're still sort of largely focusing on sort of the the, the media, the information that that's being read, but also sort of making some general commentary about how this information is being covered. I just you know I pulled together a number of headlines, and as you were talking, I just uh, I just sort of really it really just skimming the headlines sort of told me a story a little mm-hmm. bit. So I just wanted to read that. So here's here's just like six or seven headlines, just the names of the article. For just to give you a bit of an overview about how different uh, sources are talking about different things. Uh, so from the opinion section uh, written by Michael E. Mann, which is the uh, famous hockey stick graph guy, uh, for better or worse, um, writing on the, uh, in The Guardian, uh, title is, It's a Fact, Climate Change Made Hurricane Harvey More Deadly. Uh, moving over to CNBC, one of the articles, and again, this is just one of many, but the article that was... Uh, uh, easiest to find for me and seemed relevant was Hurricane Harvey will be uh, most expensive natural disaster in U.S. history, according to AccuWeather. Uh, covering from CBS Evening News, uh, we need that Gulf Coast. Harvey flooding shuts down oil refineries. Uh, moving over to the Atlantic, Hurricane Harvey lays bare our new bargain with nature, for better or worse. Uh, moving to Reuters, Hurricane Harvey could push forward U.S. debt ceiling uh, deadline. Uh, moving along to Quartz Magazine, uh, Hurricane Harvey has raised the market value of U.S. oil refining companies by millions. Uh, moving over to Market Watch, energy stocks uh, pummeled again as Harvey dumps more rain on Texas. Uh, and coming back again full circle to The Guardian, fears of chemical plant explosion as Harvey floods uh, shut down oil refineries. Um, the chemical it, plant did end up actually blowing. And it did, of course, yes. This link was from uh, was uh, was also from uh, early early in the day on Thursday, which, so of course, there's now updates on that story as well. Uh, but I just, like, I was just skimming across those sort of, um, just preparing for the show, and just sort of the comparison of all the different priorities that are being talked about, A, and then B, uh, just to follow your point with, is the, the just, like, knock-off, knock-off, knock-off effects as yeah. well. Um, 
uh, we'll come. Well, maybe we won't spend so much time on it. So maybe I'll just say quickly here as we go to break, um, because I think this is not the thing that is deserving of most of the time on today's show. Maybe we'll come back to it. Maybe not. Uh, But the likelihood that uh, some of the Republican senators who are, you know, crying for money that are want to bail out the oil industry um, just sickens me. I just (laughs) wanted to mention that uh, because they're responsible, as we basically was the entire show last week. Um, They are largely responsible and they should not get a penny of of money uh, from the bailout. Uh, On that note. Megan, once again, is going to give us a music break. And we'll be back in a few, uh, in a few minutes to uh, uh, talk a little bit more. We're going to talk a little bit about finances. Yeah, we're uh, going to break down, break down a couple more of the sort of ways these things play out. So mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be how Houston, how, how prepared Houston was or wasn't for this. Um, specifically, sort of that conversation about whether or not climate change can really be blamed or if it's blamed, how to talk about that. Uh, and, then, uh, and then also sort of how to expect what we expect from the, the, the impacts of Houston and the oil industry. Uh, being impacted there and then insurance because insurance obviously in times like this are super important and there's a bunch of kind of ridiculous things going on there too all right so more uh flood coverage uh when we come back you're listening to the green majority i'm here with stefan hostetter uh i'm of course your host Saren kaster and megan our tech is going to give you your music break right now All right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5, our podcast at greenmajority.ca or our wonderful, very appreciated community partners uh, across Canada and international. Um, we are talking about uh, largely extreme weather uh, in the form of hurricanes and flooding this week. Um, trying to do as much of an overview just of all the different facets, really, of all the things that there are to think about mm-hmm. uh, these types of stories. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the the fact that we will likely be increasingly covering them, yeah, um, despite not wanting to, yeah. And on and <laughs> actually, on on on, on that topic, actually, that's the, the the first thing I want to get to. Actually, is is this what's the role of climate change, or or how do you speak about the role of climate change in this in this kind of thing? Um, because every time this happens, there's that whole push about you know let's not. Let's not politicize this experience. Let's not. Let's not. It's not time is not. It's not now to say I told you so or anything like that. That's not useful. We need to help, care and help these people. Which a hundred percent we need to care and help these people. But a part of caring and helping these people is ensuring that the next time this happens, maybe it doesn't happen as badly. You know. Yeah. Sure. No. No. I was going to say. Do you mind if I take a swing at uh, the the explanation of how we can talk about climate change? Uh, sure. That was a pun. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me a any baseball player that was caught uh, doping. Uh, Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa was, uh, you know, was doping. Um, so the way to understand how climate change uh, inter- can be can be talked about with reference at a very simple level uh, with ex- with reference to extreme weather is that there is no single home run that can be attributed to doping. You can't say that one that that home run right there was because of drugs. Right. What you can say is that over the course of taking drugs, the entire performance was influenced by the doping mm-hmm. and uh that was that was actually a metaphor that i got from my from my like s- uh, second year uh course the baseball metaphor right. included um <laughs> and it's one that i continue to find very very useful because i think it's a very clear way of ex- explaining to people um you know climate change influences everything and so when we see a very extreme event we can't you can't say that one that's right. a climate change event that wouldn't have happened mm-hmm. otherwise what we can say is that as we see an increase in severity that increase in severity and frequency overall is attributable climate change yeah, well, and i think and i think that's 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 the point there which is that um we people are talking about hurricane harvey as a 500 year storm 
and you'll hear a bunch of a couple other storms referred to as a 100 year storm and the and that basically means that it's not exactly there's a one in 500 chance each year that happens but historically if you look back at how much longer time that's roughly when you'd expect each one to happen right um and 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 so it doesn't mean it only happens once in 500 years. And especially as we're changing the climate, that will stop being true. And for example, from August 2015 to August 2016, there were eight 500-year flood events that were recorded by the National Weather Service. Uh, and and they were, there were six 1,000-year floods in the U.S. Uh, in the five years between 2010 and 2014. Um, and in 2015, 2016, there were at least three each year. And so these are these are th- events that might happen. That's three one thousand year floods each year. This is the cl- that is what climate change is. Climate change isn't the the one of those floods. Climate change is the fact that three of them landed in 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 one year and then did again next year. Uh, you know, there's a quote here from uh, David Esquivel, uh, who is the uh, public works director in in Torn- in Tomball, Texas, who told a local paper. Uh, that this year that Houston area had two 500-year storms back-to-back over Memorial Day weekend in 2015 and early April in 2016. Uh, that means Hurricane Harvey constitutes as the third 500-year flood in three years. And so these are, this is not that – is, that is the part that is climate change, right? The, 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 it's the, it is not the single storm. It is the, it is the fact that we are seeing these storms at an um, un, uh, a terrifying rate, I guess. You know, if you're if if, if a thousand year flood becomes an every year flood, the area you live in, like you can live in Houston, if when, once every five hundred years, you Hurricane Harvey hits. Um, if 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 that happens every year, you are no that that you, you've made that area uh, at least very differently inhabitable, if not uninhabitable, and that change is what we have to pay attention to, and and, and to sort of stay on the context of Houston. They were not ready for this storm at all. Uh, there was a very interesting work done by ProPublica and the, and the Texas Tribune, who in 2016 uh, collaborated on a project detailing how bad the damage of a Hurricane Ike caliber storm would be. So Hurricane Ike was happened many years ago. And during that time, they did, there was a whole bunch of study about how basically they expected that if it hit, if it hit Houston with its strength, it would – I believe knock out about 10% of the United States economy because of how how petrol chemical heavy Houston is and how and how much how much oil is going out of their of their ports and everything that in any given day. And so this was 10% of the of the economy. I believe it was of the United States it might have been of the world. I'm pretty sure the United States. And um and and all of this they knew it was it was fully documented. They did a whole report about this when Hurricane Ike was a concern about the about the threat it proposed to the American economy, and then many many years passed and nothing happened. Uh, you know, there's a uh, there's a here's a quote here from uh, Phil Bedent, a Rice University professor. Uh, who co-directs the Storm Surge Production, Education, and Evacuation from Disasters Center. So it seems like he would know what is, what is going on. Um, and his quote is, his quote is, quote, we've done nothing to shore up the coastline to add resiliency to do anything. That is, that is about as damning of a sentence as, as, as you could come up with uh, when, it's comes to, when it comes to this – is, this is the level of which everyone, everyone knew – that this is coming and, 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 and this, and this sort of exists in a whole bunch of other places. Everyone like, it is not that no one is saying, Hey, Florida, you're going to be underwater soon. 
it's but they're just not paying attention or they're hearing it and then they're and they're not doing it and that's we to, to go back a couple years couple um two couple episodes uh we covered the fact that trump just redu just took out a a provision obama had put in to make sure that storm uh sea level walls were high enough or, or at least matched what they understood sea level rise to be uh that not doing that is what leads to this kind of storms is like that is the uh, and that kind of short-sightedness is exactly why we got here um and so and so it's like you know they go even to like even some of the things that houston was trying to do weren't working uh they had a mitigation plan uh to discourage building within the 100-year floodplain uh but seven thousand homes were built since 2010 in low-lying areas for houston so it's it's this it's 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 this problem of I think if there's one thing I want to hammer down, it's the problem that of this that developers can can build a house on a floodplain, sell it to people, and then walk away, and 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 so and and then simultaneously, private insurance companies will then refuse to give you flood protection because on, they know it's on a flood because plane. it's on a floodplain, <laughs> um, and so and so that comes down to I like so like that what that means is that the people like either the people who are living there are paying a bunch of money to get flood insurance either most often actually not even through the through the through the government or so most often not actually through um through private uh, through private networks but actually through government because private companies know this is happening and do not want to insure it uh and so and so it's so basically this is a private protection this is, this is a government government's paying for this almost no matter what and the people who are not getting are the people who end up owning these houses which are inherently people who can only afford these houses no one's intentionally buying on a floodplain because they just want to have extra spending money people are buying the houses that they can afford and so the fact that we've we've created an entire system of of which we're forcing people who uh, don't have enough money to not live in a floodplain to build on a floodplain we're refusing to give them protections when that when when the storm hits which we know is going to happen at some point and and then and at best we're presuming that either the government either through insurance or through um or through uh fema basically that's the disaster release will solve the problem when the flood does happen and all of this basically means that who makes money in this scenario? The insurers who aren't don't have to who are insuring your house but not for floods, and the uh, and the developers who got to build the house there and so, sold it to you, and who's losing money here? The people who the, the the government, the people who are paying taxes and and want this to happen, and the people who live in the houses who are the low income people who need these houses to live. Everything about the system is set up so the people who uh, could do something about it. A.K.A. the developers who could you could you know ensure that their houses are are, are better protected, um, or the insurance company who could ensure that they are in, people are insured and get money, um, and or alternatively as a, as a side, the Texas lawmakers who, as ludicrous as this is, uh, on September first a bill comes into law which makes it harder for people to in Texas to get money back during insurance claims uh, on during natural disasters that became law today uh, which uh, which again won't really impact a lot of people now because most people won't even insure for floods but all of this is set up to ensure that the only people paying are poor people in the government and it's 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 this one of the things where it's like this is what we mean when we say that adaptation is is like well mitigation is it must be primary must be must be first and and that and but also that then the adaptation is cheaper than than just trying to clean it all up well and, and make no mistake that this is all about power right because you know who's not going to get bankrupted is the oil companies 
Right. Right. The people who caused the problem, the large corporations who were the primary donors, whether it be through the Koch brothers or, you know, other means um, for these industries, you know, they're, they're almost certainly, I mean, it's, it would be inconceivable that they're not compensated in some way, even if it's some, in some sneaky way that, that nobody notices or, or, you know, only some alternative media outlets sort of notice, but never gets talked about in the mainstream media. Uh, they're going to be fine, right? But their claim is, well, we lost some profits and that's being, you know, prioritized over people who like lost their future, uh, which just seems really sick to me. Well, and it's, it's, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I don't know. But it's also like, you know, we can talk, what's also interesting about this whole concept is that we end up talking so much about, you know, what's the, for the for petrochemical company to get to get too impacted, uh, they would really have to. You would have to see some a, a, a storm would have to hit hit Houston a slightly different way. So they sort of got out. They 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 got out a little easier, I think, than 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 could have gone. And that's and that was the real worry that the ProPublica Pro report was reporting on was that at some point this hurricane wasn't that hurricane, but that hurricane is still coming. The hurricane could be Irma, which is currently existing in the Atlantic Ocean right now, and and that and and that will have a whole much a sort of a wider uh, impact on on everyone because of because of the industry it's affecting. But yeah, but they're the one. But at that point, at least at least that you're just building rebuilding infrastructure, mm. right? You know, there's a hundred thousand people who who evacuated Hurricane Katrina, who moved to Houston, who are now uh, and, and never went back. Uh, and so they escaped one hurricane, ended up in a second, and then and are now being displaced a second time uh, because of this flooding. And and this is the, the this is I think the, the 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 sorry state of the affairs is that all that the rest of us can do is keep saying we have to take this seriously because if we don't, this is going we're going to be talking about we're eventually going to get to the point where as I mentioned earlier. We aren't talking about this. Mm. If you get to the, we're going to get to a point where where the third hurricane hitting Houston in a in a in a in a, in a hurricane season is going to be just an old hat, uh, you know. And 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 the fact that a chemical plant exploded uh, is yeah. We don't even have time to get. I mean, that we maybe we'll come back to that next week, or maybe yeah. we we'll talk about it on the bonus show. But I mean, there's so many things. Yeah, exactly. The, the there's, plant so, there's 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 so many pieces to this, and all of this points to a fact that it points to a. I guess there's a hubris of 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 presuming that we are protected mm. uh and that in that and that climate change won't affect us and and hopefully and i think each time each time one of these things happen i think there's a there's a, there's a groundswell again of, of climate people being like this is what we're warning you about right. and then it gets sort of shouted shouted down a bit because people you know because it's not the time to talk about it right and then just like after a school shooting it's not the time to talk about gun laws exactly and then and then and then and then in two weeks some other donald trump will say some other ridiculous thing on twitter and and will have forgotten about the people of houston and and they they will still be digging themselves out there are people you know there are people 10 years later from Katrina who still haven't fully recovered from that, from that hurricane. And so all pieces of this lead to me to be like, this is, we keep hoping, I think that there'll be a certain storm that will tip, right. That will tip the minds of, uh, of people, uh, that will tip the minds of people who are like, who, who are willfully ignorant. Um, and, and we still haven't seen it. You know, and it's interesting, I think, especially interesting when it hits, when, when these natural disasters hit places that are so synonymous with the, with the culture that has created it, you know, Houston and oil, Fort McMurray and the fire, Fort McMurray fire. And those times it gets this the added element of sort of like, of, of like, it's happening exactly like, it's, it's as if the, the world is like, look, 
these are the things that are causing the problem. I'm going to direct all of your attention and give you a perfectly packaged sort of way to look at, like to understand the damage that's happening and how we should all come together and care about this. And yet still a year later, the conversation is about just this concept of rebuilding and not of not, not of preventing the next one, you know, when we've got we've got about two minutes left here, and I want to I want to close really quickly on a on a thought experiment, following from what you were just saying. So quickly here, one of the stories I mentioned was uh, Hurricane Harvey will likely be the most expensive natural disaster in U.S. history. Uh, current estimate is that it will cost the economy about 190 billion. But I saw another number that said if you actually take into account uh, people's individual losses, that it's going to be well over uh, 900 billion dollars. So coming up on a trillion dollars. So here's here's the thought experiment. Um, this is. Uh, this is obviously terrifying and terrible. Um, but a lot of the talk, as they said, is, you know, what will be the response? There's, you know, the, a lot of comparisons being made to uh, Katrina. Um, this will, uh, first of all, estimates are saying this will end up costing more than Katrina and Sandy combined. But while we're talking about Katrina, I mean, as you were saying, like, you know, there's Katrina a number of years ago, and then people, you know, mostly who are and were not directly impacted, and we're just following it in the news, uh, sort of feel like that's been solved, right? That, well, that's all been put back together now. And so now we have to start the work of putting, you know, Houston and, and, and Texas back together. Um, but, you know, that's $900 billion. What happens if this happens next year? That's another $900 billion. What happens if it happens twice the year after? That's another $2 trillion. The U.S. is a pretty rich country. They've got, a, they've got the largest military by orders of magnitude on the planet. Uh, they don't have $3 trillion a year to rebuild houses, right? There becomes a point when you're just like, okay, we just can't build houses. But then what do we do with all these people, right? Then all of a sudden, the Americans are now looking at a situation that has become, um, you know, things are still getting worse in South Asia. But, you know, this annual severe problem with you know heavy monsoons existing now being amplified by climate change you know what sort of what sort of society is is are the americans going to have when they can't afford to rebuild and this is not a, a theoretical conversation for the future this is like this might be the conversation they're having next year when three more hurricanes have hit in the meantime and they're all of a sudden like we can't do this like we just like it's not even like not politically possible it is literally not financially possible the money does not exist to rebuild and to repair and to do this and then what conversation do we have um, and I think that's really terrifying because I think that will finally get people's attention. But by that point, it's too late. Once you've run out of money to to, to even repair the damage, um, then it's at least too late to sort of like pretend that you keep getting to have any semblance of the world that you used to have, uh, much less, you know, geopolitical stability and, and all the rest. Uh, so we are out of time. Uh, we're actually over time. I apologize. We'll wrap up right now. Uh, we will have a bonus show if we can. Uh, other than that, have good green week, folks. We'll keep covering this, uh, unfortunately. Um, and uh, take care.